we've been rolling through Acts chapter 20, we've been in it for a month or so, but we have completely stalled on verse 24, and we basically have gone eight words at a time and chewed it up, and so everybody just hold on to your seats, because we're flying today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is your time. We have set it apart so that we could hang out with you, to enjoy you, to know you more. And we ask that you would move in our hearts. We've prayed and begged that the Holy Spirit would come and that you would help us understand this. We're going to, we're choosing, Lord, to sit and to yield to you and to surrender and yield to the authority of your word. And so have your way and speak to us. Help us to understand what it is that we would have each person in here that you, Holy Spirit, can minister to individually. We are so desperate for you, and we ask that you would move here among us this morning. We're so thankful that we have this place. It's like an oasis. It's green grass and still waters, a place where we could come and just enjoy you. We need it, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> okay, what has happened? Paul's hanging out, pastor's conference on the coast there in Miletus. He's called the elders, and he's talking to them, and he said, hey, trials and tribulations await me. He says in verse 24, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. And today we're going to deal with, well, why, Paul? And he says, so that I can finish my race with joy. And the ministry that I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel, the grace of God. And so we're going to deal with that. But that resolve that he had, none of these things move me. So that we're clear, we've been using this path as an illustration that uh, Paul could see ahead. The Holy Spirit warned him and said, there's some pretty gnarly stuff coming your way. Chains and tribulations. So Paul sees it and they're waving back and forth at each other. Hi, chains and tribulations. And they're like, yeah, we're coming for you, Paul. You better watch out. And Paul's like, I'm not moving. Okay, he has this resolve. I will not move. None of these things move me. He says, nor do I count my life dear to myself. So we've been like, this is where God has you. This is his will, plan for your life. And then this is not. This is just like, you've taken the easy way out. Okay, we've done it before. I'm there. I'm guilty of it. <clears throat> and so now I'm outside of here, and I've, I'm taking this. I don't want to deal with the hard things. And so I'm going to do it this way, or I'm going to take this route, or I'm going to do this or that. What I want to be clear in what we're doing, when I step from here to here, we're not talking salvation, okay? We're talking just God's will for our life, right? I'm not saved, and now I'm unsaved. When I, no, guys, God's grace covers these things. We talked about it, how he loves you. Even when you do sidestep, even when you do count your life dear to yourself, guess what? It's sin, but he paid for it. And so we're not doing, that. We're not doing condemnation. I want you to understand it. Like We are secure in Christ. That's our position. Stay in Christ. We'll just stop with that. Stay in him. What I'm trying to illustrate to you is this is what God has you on that path. You know what's coming and you know what's right, but you're like, I just can't do it. And you step aside and you miss out on being useful. And that's how I want to maybe articulate it to you in this way. That Paul talked to Timothy about it where he said, in a great house there are not only vessels of honor or dishonor, gold and silver, and then they had like wood and some other things. He says, those things are in a big house. He says, but if you cleanse yourself from the latter, talking about the vessel of dishonor, and so you become useful to the master for every good work. It's not a matter of salvation. It's not a matter of God looks at you and says, oh, I like them better because they're more useful. That is not how it works with God. He sees you as he sees his son, Jesus. It's as simple as that. 
I want to believe it now. I want to walk in it. But I do become useful. The nearer I draw to the Lord, the more useful I can be. The, the more I walk on the path that he has for me, I'm just useful. That's all. It's not a matter of salvation or not. It's not a matter of he loves me more or does it. Now he owes me something because I'm really sticking strong to his path. That's not how it goes. Is there joy in the presence of the Lord like that? Is there outrageous uh, benefit and satisfaction to walking in the will of God? Like, of course, you guys. Absolutely, because his ways are the best ways. When I step out over here, I, it's me living my life, and I'm not good at it. I ruin it. I mess it all up. But here, even though it's hard, and as we've been kind of dealing with things, like are we coming to terms with the fact that maybe things are going to be difficult? Absolutely they are. You have been promised. It's going to be hard. And so then as a church, it's like, okay, I want to come to terms with this. And how do we do that? Well, we've been discussing None of these things move me. Lord, I want that to be true in my life. I want to be able to say, God, please help me. Stay right where you have me. Whatever comes my way, Lord, here I am. I'm with you. Nor do I count my life dear to myself. Very quickly, we talk. You are enormously valuable. In fact, so valuable that Jesus purchased you with his own blood. How amazing is that fact? You are so valuable, so loved, so precious to the Lord. And yet he asks us to put ourselves into harm's way. Just like the tank, just like that fighter, just like the aircraft carrier, enormously valuable, $13 billion, folks. And yet it is made to go into battle. And we can't confuse the fact that we are indeed so precious and so beloved. And yet he has purpose built you, designed you, not programmed, but he has designed you to go into battle. So don't count your life due to yourself so that you can finish your race with joy which is where we pick it up. There's a course laid out before you, and we would want to finish that course. I want to bring it to completion. That would be good, especially once we consider what that course is. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says it like this. We are his workmanship, each and every single one of you, created in Christ Jesus. That position is so important in Christ. You're created for good works, right? Purpose built, designed for it which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so he would say, walk in them. When I have this stuff prepared and I do this, that's me not walking in it, right? That's all. I'm not walking in it. Now I'm over here. You know what I'm saying? So hard things come. God's prepared it for us. That's what he has ordained. He's allowed. Do we live in a messed up and broken world? You better believe it. Are things hard and awful because people are sinners? Yes. And God allows that to go. There are many things we, we see and many things we don't see that God spares us from. In heaven, perhaps, we'll be able to see his, his hand of providence that we couldn't see right now. And when sometimes we can be bitter because things are coming into our life, if we only knew what God has spared us from. Right? We don't see that, do we? We can't see it all the time. And yet we know that he's good and we know that he loves us. We know that he cares for us, but he, we also know that he, he created us for a purpose. And so, Lord, okay, I want to come to this terms with the fact I'm here for you, for the glory of God. Paul could say it like this in 1 Timothy 6. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Paul's encouragement to Timothy was keep on going. Keep fighting that good fight. Don't be moved. Don't count your life dear to yourself. You have been purpose-built. Keep it up. Keep going so that I can finish my race. Self-preservation will take me off of that course. 
self-loving me putting myself on a throne will take me off that course. Two things run opposite of each other. God's will, plan, and design is one thing, and then my flesh is quite another, isn't it? And they just don't work together. And yet God, in his wisdom and by his grace, has sent his son Jesus to set us free from the bondage that we were in to the flesh. That I no longer have to obey the flesh. I have been made alive. My spirit is alive. I can now choose to make a, I can make a decision to follow him. When I do that, guess what it's called? It's called worship. Every single decision you make is a decision. One can be worship, one can be rebellion, right? We have that choice now, whereas before we didn't. You were in bondage, you had no choice. God has set you free. You can now worship and know him. Okay, how do we do it? We've spent a lot of time going through it. I'd like to introduce you to another verse that you guys will know, but as far as understanding, like, the difference between condemnation and conviction. I want to bring that before you really quickly because sometimes when you hear these things like, hey, stay the course and don't love, it's like, well, that, I'm not good at that. And so, okay, what do you do? Condemnation takes you away from God. You feel like you got to hang your head and, and I've I got to go over here and I've got to do something now to earn God's favor again. And just so that you are very like, clear on this, that is demonic, okay? That is not how it works. God loves you, and he's already paid for that. He's taken care of it. What does God desire of you is to be convicted, that the Spirit of God would draw attention to areas in your life where you're not walking where he would have you walk. And what are you supposed to do in response? Nothing but go to him. Con condemnation pulls you away from the Lord. Conviction draws you near to him, where you would be hungry to be with the one, the only one who can help you. It's Jesus Conviction draws you to Jesus. Con condemnation pulls you away from him. Just so you're aware. These things, we would hope that there would be conviction. I am convicted. I have been really challenged by this time we've spent here in this section. Not being moved. And so these last, probably this last month, my wife and I were sitting in the parking lot of Meyer, um, just chit-chatting. I bought this shirt at Meyer. I've had so many people ask me, where'd you get that? It's a sweatshirt. I got it at Meyer. <laughs> Buy one, get two free. I got it for eight bucks. I got these jeans for $16 at Meyer too, okay? <laughs> we joke about how we've, we've arrived at this station in life where we buy our clothes at a grocery store, you know? It's like, <laughs> what has happened to us, Kristen? Uh, anyway, we're hanging out in the Meyer parking lot, just chit-chatting, and like things are heavy, and things are hard right now, and just is like, well, of course, because look what we've been going through as a church. It's easy, on, it's easy to preach it, you know what I'm saying? But then to live it when things are really heavy and things are really hard, and it could be so much easier just to move out of the way, so much easier, just can I have a little me time, whatever that means, and yeah, like that's tempting. Things get heavy. You guys have felt it. I know that there's many of you who are experiencing and have been experiencing warfare, and it's like, golly, when do we get a break? Heaven. <laughs> That's when we get a break, okay? Until then, we hold so fast to Jesus, and he can take care of it. I promise you. You guys know that. But it's tough. And so, yeah, this stuff has been convicting areas of my life that need to come under, like, some serious change. Like, I, it's just true. I need that. You guys do as well. I'm saying all of that, prefacing this scripture. That's Okay, good. Okay, now we're 1 Corinthians 15, 10. 
This is the key, I suppose you could say. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Those of you who are older, think of Popeye, probably. By the grace of God, I am what I am. That's the key right there. It's his grace. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it, but he gives it. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain, meaning that Paul didn't receive God's grace and then just sit back and think, sweet, I can do anything that I want now. No, Paul's like, I've been given grace. I can go hard now. I'm not doing it to earn God's favor. Every moment of my life now can be an act of worship because of grace, not law now. It was not in vain, but he says, I labored more abundantly than they all. He says, but it wasn't me. It was grace, the grace of God that was with him. And so there's the key, you guys, in abiding in and knowing it deeper and deeper, like the grace of God. Where will you find that? You'll find that in Jesus. Hebrews tells us that. We won't go there, but none of these things move me. I don't count my life dear to myself so that I can finish my race with joy. It's called the long game. And his grace is what enables that. You can't do it apart from him. It's impossible. It's exhausting doing it apart from him. It's never meant to. You weren't designed to function apart from him. We need him. You guys know this over and over again. It's been repeated. But we're in it for the long haul. You guys know that. We're coming to terms with the fact that, hey, following Christ sometimes isn't always what we think it's going to be because our culture and our surroundings it creeps in on us. So we're like, we live in the Midwest. There's a particular culture. We live in this part of Indiana. We, we function much the same. There is a standard of living and a culture that can permeate or bleed into my expectations that I have on the kingdom of God. I'm going to explain that. My culture and my standard of living can bleed into and I don't know, permeate some of my expectations about God's kingdom. A good example is this. I do not know if what I'm getting ready to say to you is true. And it doesn't matter. You don't need to fact check me on this, okay? Burger King, in my opinion, was the first fast food restaurant that let me order food how I wanted it to be ordered. Okay? Their motto is BK, have it your way. And so... We live in that world where I can go. Now, when's the last time I had Burger King? No clue. I have absolutely no clue. Years or decades ago, you know what I'm saying? I do smell it when I'm on Pendleton Pike right down here. And they have that flame broil. Like, I do smell it. And it's like, it's actually a pretty decent smell. Anyway, the BK, have it your way. I could order it without onions. A Whopper Junior, a Whopper without onions. That's pretty cool. Thanks, Burger King. To have ease and luxury. We, we live a life of relative luxury, you guys. We're, we're inside this beautiful building right here. Praise God for it. I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful that we don't have to, like, kind of hide away in a basement because we can't be registered. We can't, like, praise the Lord. Like, not everybody has that luxury, guys. We have missionaries that are sharing right here. It's hard. Praise the Lord for what we've been given. Like, I'm thankful for it. Thankful. I just don't want it to lull me to sleep. Right? I don't want that to make me think, hey, this is pretty easy. But you guys, following Jesus isn't easy. Warring for the souls of people is hard work. And I don't want to be lulled into that. I don't want to just have it my way. I don't want to live in luxury. Like, 
I'm thankful. And I hope you guys understand what I'm saying. Like what we have and even considering the freedoms that we have. Guys, that's been hard fought. I'm thankful for it. I do praise the Lord for where we live. I, I love where we live. I really do. But sometimes we can become accustomed to being catered to. And that's dangerous. It really is dangerous. <clears throat> like think about your kids. You don't, okay, you shouldn't, if I can be so bold, cater to your kids. Grandparents, you get a pass on that. All right? Grandparents, I really think you get a pass on it. We have to de-grandparent our kids. Or in the past we had to. My mom and dad or Kristen's mom and dad, if they were with my, my mom and dad or their, their, for any amount of time, it's like we have to fix them. <laughs> we have to fix them. Like say, like I'm not going to say yes to everything you ask. I'm not going to cater to my kids. I don't want to raise pieces of trash. So I'm not saying yes to everything. I'm not going to cater to them. It can be a dangerous thing when people begin to expect being catered to. Hey, are we here to serve? You better believe it. There's a difference between serving and catering to. Jesus came to serve, not be served. I'm, I would be cautious to say that he'll cater to your every need. He loves you way too much to do that. He loves you way too much to do that. I can't allow that to happen. Sometimes your kids just need a little bit of encouragement. My youngest two, we were, I think Chris and I were gone, maybe at the conference in California. I come home to a ginormous pile of leaves in my yard. Right by our, we have like this playset, right? And so it's like, you know, eight feet tall. The kids, all right, we have crazy kids, but <clears throat> they're getting up on there and they're jumping off onto this massive pile of leaves. I don't get leaves in my yard. And so I'm like, why is there a giant pile of leaves in my yard? You want to know what my kids did? I'm going to tell you right now. My youngest two traveled our neighborhood and asked all of our neighbors for the bags of leaves that they had raked up. Okay? <clears throat> I come home. I'm like, you did what? You took all the neighbor's leaves and you put them in my yard. And I could, I could not believe it, you guys. I could not believe it. I understood it. Like, I get it. I really do. I get it. But you guys, I'm... Okay, so anyway. I let them have their fun. And I know I try to be so good about not even saying anything. Like, I was like, what'd you do? And like, there's these... You know, like, Meyer has those brown bags. I'm like, there's brown bags all over my yard. Like, what is going on in my life? And so they let them have their fun. Now it's raining. My yard's probably ruined underneath of them. But I make my kids go out there my two youngest and it's like you're gonna put these somewhere else and so they were out there for an hour and a half and they will never do that again i can promise you that <laughs> they will never do that again i had like hot pancakes in there in the house and uh, i'm like you aren't coming in and you're not getting a pancake until those leaves are picked up so they had their fun what are we doing we're not catering okay i'm helping my kids follow jesus that's what i'm doing there you go I'm helping them follow Jesus, I promise, and get my yard clean. So we must remember, though, that this is not our home. And so sometimes we can become accustomed to the way the culture is and then apply it to God's kingdom. That's not how it works. We live for God's glory and for others. You guys know that. God's word informs us and counsels us on what to expect and what not to expect, not the world around us. And so bear that in mind. You guys know this. You are a well-taught church. 
Bill and Vi were faithful to teach you God's word. We're going to get to what it means to be to have the full counsel of God's word given to you. I know you know these things, but it's like to stir it up once again. I want to finish my race. I want to finish it. In order to finish, man, I can't be moved, and I can't count my life dear to myself. I must be steadfast in the Lord, and I must let him and his love satisfy me. I want to finish my race with joy. We're going to pause for just a moment and consider what that might mean. With joy, meaning that I can't do these things, so you maybe perhaps you could finish your race, but you do so with a scowl on your face, and you're mad at the fact all the work you had to do. Do you have any idea how much work I've had to put in for you, you person there that took a lot of work? And you're angry about it, and the Lord's like, nope, that's not how my kingdom works. That you finish your race with joy, that your countenance, your attitude, and your demeanor actually matters. What you do matters. We've been through that. You, we've got to finish the race. We're talking it's souls of people, so it's really important. But you finish the race. What you do is vital, but how you do it is important as well. I don't know where it is on a hierarchy, but how you handle yourself in ministry and loving people, like that really matters. It's joy. You guys know James, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. You know, and the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Like, you know these things. There's something about joy where your mind is set on the Lord in anticipation of his grace and his mercy and his faithfulness. Philippians, this is Paul speaking to the church that he loves so dearly. You're going to hear it right here. Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, beloved, right? Longed for brethren. He says that you are my joy and you are my crown. These are people he's talking about. Stand fast in the Lord. Just like he was immovable, he would say, God, help them to be steadfast in the Lord. But he considered people his joy. Isn't that fun? The people were his joy. He loved them. I want that to be something that's for all of us. That's not just for some dude here. That's not just for Paul or for a pastor. No, we, we all get to share in that responsibility to love people. Every last bit, every last one of us. Paul will go on to say to the church in Thessalonica something absolutely incredible. He says, what is our hope? What is our joy? What is our crown of rejoicing? He says, is it not even you in the presence of the Lord Jesus at his coming? What Paul got fired up about and what brought joy into his life was thinking about each one of these people that he knew coming and being with Jesus. Like that's what he got fired up about. And I hope that resonates with you guys, every single one of you, be it your kids, your grandkids, your coworkers, or your employees or whatever else it might be, people in your neighborhood, that it's like, man, that what motivates and moves me, the joy that I receive in part, no doubt, is that people would come to know Jesus and then like be built up and established in him. That would bring me joy. Not the world, but people knowing the Lord and people growing in the Lord. That's what's up. Jesus in Hebrews chapter 12, it said that he, uh, with the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What exactly does that mean? That he was there in his mind, let me say it like that, considering and thinking what this was to accomplish and knowing the beauty and the value of him purchasing his people with his own blood, he said, I will go to the cross. Joy was that which he had right there. He had this joy and he, he held on to it and he, he endured the cross. One of my favorite verses in scripture, you've heard it a million times, I'm so sorry. Actually, I'm not. Jude, verse 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling... So imagine Jesus, he's holding on to you right here. He's going to keep you from stumbling. And he presents you faultless before the presence of his glory. So Jesus takes you and he puts you before Jesus 
sorry, the father, and he says, look at him and look at her. How cool are they? How, whatever a theological term is appropriate and better than cool. How spotless are they? How faultless are they? How precious, how complete are they? Father, look, there's no blemish in him. There's no blemish in her. Check it out. So he takes you and presents you faultless before the presence of his glory. But how does he do it? With ex- not just with joy, with exceeding joy. Like Jesus gets really excited. And it's the joy of his life, may I could say, to take you and present you faultless. He loves it. It brings him incredible joy to do this. I want to model that. And just so you know, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And so as you abide in and hang out with the Lord Jesus Christ and His Spirit works within you, these things will come. If you struggle with joy, check it out. Hang out with Jesus. Allow Him to do that. I'm not talking about necessarily always that emotion of happiness where you feel it. No, that's not always the way it is. Sometimes it can be like this, I'm I'm going to put my mind on the Lord and I'm going to consider what He has done and I'm going to set my mind there. Hard stuff sometimes. But there's where joy is. It's found in Christ so that I can finish the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus. We want to do that. I want to finish the race, but also the ministry. Notice that he's received from the Lord Jesus. We'll be moving a little quicker here, so stay with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. It is required in stewards that one be found faithful. That's where you would finish. Why do I want to finish? Because that would be faithful to do. God has given you guys ministry. The ministry is really the same as Paul. How you'll do it it is different. But you have a ministry. We've talked about it a lot, I know. Know him and make him known. You guys have people, places, and things that God has entrusted into your care so that they would know the Lord, be strengthened in the Lord. Help us to be faithful. This ability to finish is rooted in that resolve to be surrendered and yielded to Jesus. None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. Help me, Lord. So this is all like real hot, like this is ideal stuff, right? We're walking in, Lord, do this, please. I know many of you, all of you perhaps in here, like long for these things. I want to follow Jesus like that. And I hear you. My heart resonates. Even I hope you're encouraged this morning in it. But then it gets hard. Like in 30 minutes, it's going to get hard. You're going to leave this building away from the beauty of fellowship and the community that we have, and it's going to get hard. And then you got to make a decision, which is called worship. you got to make a decision to follow him, to wake up Monday morning and just jump out of bed and get fired up, that you get to follow Jesus today. That'd be cool, wouldn't it? Help us, Lord, with that. God gives, and we receive. Think of the parable of the talents where God gave and entrusted, or the master did to his servants something, and he asked, or expected that they would then go and get after it for him. For the two that did what was good and right, going and investing and pouring it out and doing business and so on, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And he goes on to say, enter into what? The joy of the Lord. Do you see the connection with joy there? Again, we have connection, like joy. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Something about following and staying on this path right here. There's joy. We get to enter into that. I want it. In the presence of the Lord is the fullness of joy. And at his right hand is pleasure forevermore. I want that. As Jesus, I want to be right there where he is. What was his ministry? It was to testify to the gospel of the grace of God 
The gospel means this. It's just good news of the grace of God that Paul had some hard-fought battles to get it to the place where God's grace was understood and known. Remember earlier on in Acts 15, well, even before that, there's this battle. You have to be circumcised and you have to become a Jew in order to be saved. And Paul's like, nope. Peter said, no, that's not what happened there with Cornelius. That God has made a way through Jesus Christ that we're saved by grace. Not of my own merit, not of works. That way I, I could boast if that was the case, but no, it's His grace. That when I put my faith in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, that His sacrifice covered and paid for, atoned, satisfied God's wrath, my sins, my rebellion, that God has been satisfied. I'm no longer guilty. And I believe that God raised Him from the dead. I'm saved. And Paul's like, I get to share that message. It's something that you guys have been entrusted with. This very thing, it's no different for you or I. We have this ministry to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. How you do it can be different than what Paul did. But this is what God has given you and me. I want to be a faithful steward of it. That's why I don't want to be moved. That's why I don't want to count my life dear to myself because I'm, I'm going to miss walking in the beauty of the ministry that God has given us. For those of you who are taking notes, 1 Corinthians 15, 1-6 is a very succinct and and clear picture of the gospel. That Jesus died, was buried, and again, rose again three days later and was seen by others. There's the gospel message. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 9-14, through 14, explain what that message means. We have the gospel and the events that happened, but then we learn what those events accomplished. That we've been set free. No longer do we have to bear the guilt and the shame of our rebellion against the holy, perfect God. But Jesus took it upon himself. And if I cling to him and hide in Jesus, God will see me like he sees his son. Perfect. Holy, blameless, and above reproach. That's some good news. We now are on the cusp of moving into a new verse. I'm a little rusty at moving into a new verse. But let's see how it goes. <laughs> and indeed, this is verse 25. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Paul knew that he, his path took him down some rough areas. He wasn't going to be able to hang out at this pastor's conference anymore on the coast of there in Miletus. So then he says, I testify to you this day. I'm innocent of the blood of all men. How could he say that? Well, we'll explain it here in verse 27 beautiful verse he says for i have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of god how can he stand before them and said i am not guilty if you guys do something stupid it's your fault <laughs> not my fault because i haven't shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of god's word he actually said that already in verse 20 where he says i kept back nothing that was helpful everything god had given paul we could say paul said here it is i want you to know all of it that counsel that we're referring to, plan, God's will, God's purpose, all of it, we now have it preserved in the 66 books of Scripture. That's not what Paul was necessarily referring to then, because guess what? We didn't have this. Paul didn't have a Bible that he was referring to. He had the Old Testament. Right now, like they're living in the midst of what this is. When we give counsel, and when we consider anything, when you guys talk to people... This is what we have to go off of. It's right here. Anything that comes from 
any other source, I'm very skeptical of. If you want to tell me that some angel appeared to you and told you that in a hill over there, there's a couple gold tablets that you should dig up and then translate and write a new book, I'm not going to buy it. This is what we have. This is God's counsel. It's finished. It's done. It's complete. It's what we need. We now have the incredible privilege to then take this and study it. We're doing that today, right? We're studying it. We're, we're looking into it. We're learning from it. And then we're going to distill what we have, and we're going we're gonna to give it out to people. We're going to feed people God's Word. That's what we do. We take God's Word, and we say, here, would you guys eat? This morning, we're eating God's Word. It should nourish our souls as we consider what He has. This is what we have to go through. Anything that we draw from, like we draw from the resources of God's Word. We drink from this and we share it with others. Anything outside, why? Why would you go and dig a well that's empty? Don't give people that. Like, people need this. They need something that's real and will feed them and nourish them. It's God's word. So Paul does this. I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And that's why we go from Genesis to Revelation. We find that imperative. This is part of the ministry that we have. When I had gotten saved, I started going to... Calvary Chapel in Crawfordsville. Well, I'm telling this story. Worship team, you guys want to come up? That way we can move along here. <clears throat> I'm hanging out at Calvary Chapel, Crawfordsville. And Dave Kazee is and was then the senior pastor. And that was my first exposure to Calvary Chapel ministry. Or like whenever I like, I came to church and I needed my Bible. It was really weird. And uh, I remember, I was only really there for about two years. But in that span of two years, and they've been going hard for decades, similar to Bill and Vi, they have been just going hard. In that span of two years, I got to be there when he taught through and finished a Revelation chapter, <clears throat> the end of Revelation 21, 22. And he got to sit there and say to the church, it was a really special moment, I think I've shared before, he got to read this verse, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. It was a really powerful moment for him, I think, as a pastor to know that he has declared over the span of decades. From Genesis to Revelation, he was able to give his flock, right, as we're under shepherds, his people, to feed them all that they could ever need and want. It's God's word. Not the cute wisdom of man. Who wants that? It's not going to feed me. It's not going to sustain me. But God's word, man, that's what's up. And it was a really special moment. And that's what you guys, we have a legacy and a heritage of that. Where you've been fed so wonderfully God's word for the last 34 years you know praise God for that and hey guess what we get to do we get to keep it up that we take it and then you guys go and you do it now out there in the world desperate for like a really good meal give them Jesus what else is there we have it right here must be done all right Lord we need some help it's your grace that enables us to do this, the empowering of your Holy Spirit. We would ask, Lord Jesus, that you would move among us, that you would cause us to long for more of you, to enjoy you, that you'd make us hungry to spend that time with you and to enjoy a yielded and surrendered life in your hands. Have your way in us. These are your people. As we take communion, we ask that you would put it into our minds even further, the beauty of the grace and the work of the cross that you have set us free. You have done the work. And from that position of rest, Lord, would you help us to strive and work abundantly, just like we read about, that by your grace, 
we would remain steadfast and follow you. We're setting this time aside to consider the work of the cross. Lord, would you bless it? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.